Previously on Saratoga Lights. I haven't seen you guys in here before. Oh, we're just passing through. I'm, uh, I'm William. This is my brother Lucas. Give me all your money. Name's Molina. Bradford Molina. Lucas, the point of wearing a mask when committing a crime is twofold. Firstly, to intimidate your victim. Secondly, to obscure any identifying features so that when your victim is questioned by the authorities, their testimony will in no way make you a suspect. I saw that you sold the bar. You wouldn't understand. Try me. Saratoga Lights, Season 2, Episode 3, Pulpit. The sun is setting low, and with it, the town seems to lay down to slumber. The streets empty, and merchants closing the shops, leaving only a few stragglers lurking around in the shadows. Lucas Pistol, being chief among the miscreants, He's been watching a little corner market across the street. No customers. Just some old grandpa minding the store. Perfect. Behind him, he hears footsteps. He strains to decipher who it may be without turning his head. Without giving any indication to the approaching person that you can't sneak up on old Lucas Pistol. He makes his move. In a swift motion, he spins around and stands to face the person, pulling out his handgun and aiming at his center mass. From the shadows, Bradford Molina approaches with his hands raised mockingly. Can't get the drop on you. What are you doing here? Easy, friend. You following me? I wanted to talk to you and not your brother. At the same time, Tucked away in a small apartment above the bar, Sarah and William are in bed, having just copulated. Calling it an apartment is generous. It's not much more than a single room with a bathroom attached. The blue light of the moon shines through a small window in the bathroom, illuminating pictures of long-dead relatives that hang on her walls in a scattershot pattern. On the nightstand lay her grandmother's rosary, an heirloom that holds no real religious significance, but she keeps it as a symbol of the strength of women that have come and gone before. Right next to the rosary sits a snub-nosed 38 revolver, Sarah's own token of strength and independence in a cruel and insecure world. Why be an outlaw? I'm not an outlaw. Technically, you are. Expediency? Why me? I got the sense from our earlier conversation that you were the one with all the brains. I mean, he let an old lady get the drop on him. And if we're gonna do business together, I'd like to work out the details with you. What business? You guys are small-timing it. Robbing cripples, the bereaved, knocking over liquor stores in small town USA. That's no way to make a living. 
No one gives two shits if they lose 70 bucks from the till. William always says if we don't aim too high, we can't get caught. That's under the radar. Don't aim too high? That sounds like someone with no ambition. It's worked for us so far. I don't see it working. You look hungry. Lucas was hungry. In more ways than one. What did you have in mind? Was it your idea? Or your brother's? Lucas is highly susceptible to suggestion. He was being led down a path by a man who didn't have the best of intentions. What'd you do? I took control of the situation. I need a crew. One to watch the door, one to watch the room, and one to collect the money. We hit high-volume cash businesses at their peak operating hour. A lot could go wrong with that. That's why I need you and your brother. Professionals. Hungry. Instead of 70 bucks a pop, you'll be walking away with 700. You should stick around town. I'm, I'm sure there's some honest work for you and your brother around here. Uh, not likely. The silence falls back over the room, leaving just the blades of the ceiling fan slowly cutting through the stale air. She extricates herself from the sheet that covers her, the sweat and semen from their axe still clinging to her body as she walks over to the bathroom to start a shower. The water falls down in a trickle as the pipes groan before a more steady stream develops. William watches her nude body bathed by the moonlight as she waits for the water to warm slightly. She turns to see his gaze and realizes her vulnerable state, not of her physical presence before him, but of the invitation that she extended to him, of the revelation that her heart desires something more than mere satisfaction of physical needs. She wants him to stay. I'm just saying, most outlaws either get caught or killed. We'll start tomorrow at that little watering hole I found you at today, then set out across the state. Pretty soon, we'll be set for life. I like it. I don't know about William. Once he sees that money, he'll get on board. The next day, William is sitting at the bar. It's only his second day here, and he sees all the same faces as yesterday. Seemingly unemployed or unconcerned with the economic woes plaguing the state. He looks over at Sarah, chatting with an overweight cowboy at one of the tables. Spurs and everything. The cowboy laughs heartily at some unheard joke, and gives Sarah a big tip. She puts it in her pocket along with the other money of the day before returning to her place behind the bar. She's good, he thinks to himself. The door swings open and floods the bar with the bright Texas sun, letting in that burning smell of heat radiating off the tar and pavement of the road outside. A staple of this town, it seems. Lucas enters the bar and rushes over to William's side with a sly look on his face. Hey, you get everything? 
I got something better. Lucas pulls out his gun and jumps on a nearby table. Everyone down! What are you doing? We're gonna make some real money. As if on cue, the door swings open and the long shadow of Bradford Molina is cast across the room. His imposing frame blocks out much more of the sunlight than Lucas's did just prior. He lets the door close behind him and casually strolls into the bar. His revolver holstered to his hip like some kind of bandit in the Old West. Ladies and gentlemen, Please remove your wallets, billfolds, coin purses, jewelry, timepieces, and any other items of value and place them onto the tables. While everyone's attention is on Bradford and Lucas, and as their dull, drunken minds rush to connect the dots and fully understand the scene unfolding before them, Sarah slowly reaches underneath the bar for her shotgun. She knows the score. Lucas, get down. Your brother and I made a little deal. William looks up at Bradford as he positions himself between the two brothers, dominating the room. William assesses the situation and considers all the variables, plays out every possible scenario in his mind for a course of action that will give him and Lucas the greatest chance of survival. And in the midst of his calculations, he hears Sarah's warning again. He's ruthless. Leave my brother alone. Why? He's a big boy. He seems very enthusiastic about this new business venture. Lucas hops on the next table and kicks a bottle to the ground. The sound of glass shattering fills the otherwise silent room. William puts his hand on the gun that's tucked into the front of his pants, giving Bradford fair warning of his intention. I'd be careful. Bradford puts his hand on his own revolver, and tightens his grip on William's shoulder, giving him his own warning, and clearly confident in his own ability to get a round off before his opponent. The two men are squared off, eyes keen to every subtle movement in the other, every facial muscle that would serve as some indication, a millisecond of warning before hell erupts and blood is shed. Let me and my brother get out of here, or I will shoot you where you stand. How about this? You watch the door, I'll collect the money, and the three of us will walk out of here richer than when we walked in. No. Okay. I'm not usually one to make a second offer, but how about this? I kill your girlfriend behind the bar. I kill your brother. I kill every last soul in this establishment, and then I kill you. William glances over at Sarah, who is observing the conversation and watching Bradford with as keen an interest as himself. He looks at Lucas, who's still unaware of what's at stake for both of them. William takes his hand off his gun. Thought so. I'm going to hold on to this for now. Bradford takes William's gun and turns to face the room. Just keep your heads down and no one gets hurt. Lucas jumps to yet another table. Bradford stalks him, ready to follow through on his warning to William and dispatch Lucas from his mortal plane at the first sign of his disobedience. He collects money and jewelry from each table. 
making his way across the room. Sarah has her hand on the shotgun, her eyes trying to communicate with William. She looks down at the bar suggestively. He mouths the word, don't, trying again to calculate his next move, now with much higher stakes. Don't look at me, look down! Now, while all this drama is unfolding, some nitwit Johnny Renegade down at the end of the bar had a gun tucked away under his suit coat, and even though he's never been a straight shot and is plastered from day drinking, he gets it in his head that he can be a hero. The scrawny guy is off the tables and making his way to him, so he needs to act fast. He needs to act now. Johnny Renegade pulled his gun and tried to stand, fully intending to put one in Lucas's chest. However, William saw the drunk move first. He reached over the bar and grabbed the shotgun from Sarah's hand, releasing a cacophony of ear-splitting thunder and gunpowder and blood. Money! Now! William doesn't have the courage to face Sarah or see the pain and hurt that is clearly displayed on her face. Instead, he decides to finally take control of the situation. That devilish grin crawls over Bradford's lips as he and Lucas collect the rest of the money from the patrons. Once the last billfold is plundered, the three men look across the room at one another and tacitly acknowledge their tenuous partnership, now signed with blood. William finally turns to the bar and points the shotgun at Sarah. Money. Nothing. She stands her ground. He puts the shotgun closer to her face. Money. He begs. He pleads. His eyes say, I'm sorry. You were right. I am an outlaw. She defiantly pulls money from her pocket and reaches across the bar extending the roll of bills to him. He grabs it, but she doesn't release it. He pulls again. Please. Finally, she lets go. Outside, the newly formed trio make their way out of town towards Bradford's promised reward that awaits them, walking confidently down the middle of the road. The whole town moves around them in slow motion. They're kings among peasants and beggars, pioneers of their own destiny. Lucas is giddy, hopping and jumping down the street with his loot. Bradford is satisfied. He puts his arms around William's shoulder and chuckles at their good fortune. William is resigned. Violent times, indeed. This was in Texas. Saratoga Lights is written and directed by Randall LaRue. Audio recording and engineering by Matthew David Rudd. Music by Randy Reynolds. This episode featured the voice talents of Brian Villalobos, Freddie Hines, 
Joanna Bartlett, Matt Fitzgerald, and Matthew David Rudd. Until next time. I see him from across the restaurant. His Stetson resting on the table, just finishing the last of a steak, rare. He takes a drink from his single malt scotch before leaning down and adjusting the cuff of his pants over his Lou Casey's. He's a man of taste. I see her looking at me from across the room, a glass of red wine in her hand as she checks the door. The maitre d' asks her a question, but she waves him off. She glances at the watch dangling on her supple wrist, 18 karat gold. She's a woman of taste. Excuse me, miss. Is the seat taken? I'm waiting for my fiancé. May I offer you a cigarette while you wait? He pulls a pack of Markhams out of his jacket and offers one to me. Refined, rich in flavor thanks to the patented aero filter, Markhams are the most reliable of dinner companions. Care to join me? What about your fiancé? <laughs> He's not a Markham man. In a world full of choices, only one can be the best. So reach for the blue box and enjoy a pack of Markhams. <laughs> Excuse me.